The following audio is from Heritage Christian Fellowship. More information about Heritage Christian Fellowship is available at heritagefellowship.net. Hey, welcome to Heritage Christian Fellowship. My name is Paul. I'm one of the pastors here. And man, we are really glad that you're worshiping with us this morning here in person, those that are in different places around our campus and even those that are, are, are tuning in online. It's a, it's a pleasure to be able to gather with you this morning. Uh, I encourage you, if you brought a Bible this morning, to open up to Luke chapter 2. Uh, we have been uh, taking a break on our Genesis series. You can see that behind us. We've been taking a break for the last couple of weeks, and we're going to journey through Christmas Eve looking at the advent of Jesus Christ, the coming of Christ. We're going to be focusing as a church on his birth, and then in the new year, we'll pick up our series in Genesis again. This is the third week of Advent. We celebrate Advent as a way of anticipating the first Advent, the, the coming of Christ, the nativity of Jesus. And we observe Advent today as a way of celebrating this amazing truth that our God became flesh and dwelt among us. We also celebrate the first Advent, and it's also a reminder to us that our God is coming back, and there will be a second Advent. This is our hope as Christians. This morning, as we light this third candle, it's a way of building anticipation and focusing our hearts on Jesus, who is, in fact, the light of the world. Today we're going to be meditating on Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 20. This is the announcement of the angels to the shepherds that proclaim the good news that is for all people that Christ the Lord, the Savior, has been born. Let's read Luke Luke chapter 2, verse 8 through 20. In the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart, and the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Father, would you open our hearts and minds today? God, as we meditate on, focus on, work through, seek to understand what it is you're you're communicating to us through these amazing words, God, would you reveal yourself to us, God? Would you help us understand where we are today, and would you bring conviction, appropriate conviction, that we might confess and repent and journey to where you might have us to be? God, move in and through us. God, may this not just be something that we we allow to tickle our our, our ears, but God, may these be truths as we unpack this truth of, of, of the incarnation. God, may it be something that stirs us and moves us and transforms us and leads us to worship you. We love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Many of you know that my family and I moved here from the Milwaukee, Wisconsin area. We had lived there for nine years. 
my wife and I and our kids, we moved down there uh, when our kids were at a real younger age. They're all in elementary school. We moved to Metro Milwaukee to plant a church in, in urban Milwaukee. And when we moved to the neighborhood, my wife and I will never forget the day we pulled up to the church. And we were just praying about whether or not God would have us to move there. It was an old, worn-down movie theater that was condemned. And there was just there's big sheets of metal covering the windows. And I'd never been in, in a large inner city before. And I got out of the car. It might as well have been Gotham to me. Like, I didn't even know. I never lived in a town big enough for a Walmart. And so my wife and I got out of the cars. We were just praying about if God was moving us. And we walked around this block. And my wife knew immediately. She's like, God's moving us here. It's like, whoa, 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 hold on. I'm not so sure I'm ready to live in a city. We walked around the block, saw craziness, urban blight, and, and dark properties, and uh, poverty, and homelessness, and all these things that were existing in this part of the city. And you got the sense that, man, God could do something amazing in this place. And so after some prayer and discernment, we ended up moving down there, and uh, we, we, we launched from another church. And in June of 2012, we, we begun services in this old movie theater that our, our other church had helped to renovate. And it was amazing. On the first Sunday, God just showed up. Showed, people just showed up. <laughs> and and it, like by the hundreds, people showed up to our church and they couldn't believe it. And, and eventually we were able to start a, a coffee shop that was, to, you know, to, to create a place where the, where the community could gather and we could have relationship. And, and when the coffee shop opened, man, some really colorful individuals from the neighborhood began to come into the coffee shop. And, and one of these gentlemen that came into the coffee shop was this little teeny guy, about five foot two, maybe a hundred pounds. He had an eye patch. And he would come in, and he would dance and speak in rhyme. And I would engage Ron, and he would speak to me for minutes and minutes, all in rhyme. And then he'd do a little jig, and he'd walk around, and he'd twirl, and he'd leave the coffee shop. I thought, what in the world? And this guy would come in day after day, and I would see him in the coffee shop, and we began to uh, form a little bit of a relationship. But the reality was, I was chatting with Ron because he was entertaining. I would get a chuckle to myself at his odd mannerisms, and I never really paused to consider the soul condition of Ron. I never really offered him care. He was a form of entertainment for me. And then one day after he left our coffee shop, I was talking to one of the gentlemen who was working behind the, the bar, a barista. He was an intern, a youth ministry intern at our church. And I was kind of poking fun at Ron in his odd little way. And Bobby said to me, you know, he could be Jesus. And it was like a knife in my chest. Instantly my mind went to the words of Jesus in Matthew 25 when he's teaching about final judgment. And he says, I tell you truly, whatever you do not do for one of the least of these, you did not do it for me. Ron was the least of these. Well, the next time Ron came into the coffee shop, I made a decision. I was going to give him some time. And we sat down. I got to, got to know Ron. He stopped speaking in rhyme, started telling me his story. Turns out this guy has an unbelievably rich love for Jesus. I'd be talking with Ron, and all of a sudden, in the middle of the conversation, he'd look up with his one good eye, and he'd just start talking to God like he was right there, like this, this fluid prayer relationship with God. Ron started telling me the heartbreaking circumstances of his life. And the fact that he was still pursuing the Lord was incredible. He was an amazing guy. I want to show you a picture of Ron. I have a picture of him here. This is Ron. This is my good buddy from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, who was, a, was an odd but beautiful man who lived in our neighborhood. Nearly every Sunday for the seven or eight years I knew Ron, nearly every Sunday when he came to church, he'd bring me a bag of gifts. A book, a magazine, sausage, candy, cheese. In honor of Ron, I'm drinking out of a cup he gave me as a gift several years ago. <laughs> Pastor Aaron saw this this morning and thought, awfully masculine, Pastor Paul. And I was like, shut up, Aaron. <laughs> the last thing Ron gave me was on our last Sunday in Milwaukee. It was on 
October 18th, as we were all saying goodbye as a family, here's a guy with nothing. He has nothing. He walked in, and he was waiting in line of all, as all these people were saying goodbye to my family. And he got up to me, and he reached in his pocket, and he pulled out a handful of change. I'm talking, I mean, a handful of change. Quarters and nickels and dimes. Everything that he had, and he gave it to me. I'm like, I wanted to say, Ron, no. Like, brother, no. This is your money. I, I recognize this was Ron's offering to the Lord. So I, re- I received his, his, his offering. And I had to call my wife this morning to remember what he said. But he said, here's some change. Even though you're making a change, don't let this change change you. Does a little twirl and walks out. That's my last memory of Ron. I learned more from Ron than I have from just about anybody in my life. He bears the image of God. He is my brother in Christ. And I'm a better disciple because of his influence in my life. Getting to know Ron was the beginning of me coming to terms with a really gross sense of self-righteousness that lives within me. It's a process that I'm still in, by the way. But Ron exposed a snobbish piety that lived in my soul that looked down my nose at others. Ron exposed in me a, a, a propensity to elevate myself and look down at those who I deemed lowly and insignificant. It's an embarrassing reality, but it lived in me. It still lives in me. When we read our text today, when we look at the Christmas story of Luke 2, we see God choosing to announce the birth of Jesus to a people just like my friend Ron. These were lowly, insignificant, what some might call throwaway people. These are the very people that the birth of Christ was first announced to on a hillside that night. They were the invisible, forgotten, rejected rabble of society in the time of Christ. Here's how our Advent guides that we have provided with you, here's how they describe the shepherds, quote, It's amazing that God chose this group of men as the first to hear the good news. In the times of Jesus' birth, people regarded shepherds as liars and thieves. Because they were nomadic, moving from place to place to graze their flocks, people didn't readily trust them. Yet it was to men such as this that God announced the Messiah's coming. He told them first, not royalty, not the religious leaders of the day, but shepherds, lowly and insignificant. As I consider who might be lowly and insignificant in our context, the Rogue Valley 2020, I think of those souls who I see living in tents alongside the roadway. I think of those men and women who who wander through Hawthorne Park and who stumble into Medford Gospel Mission. Those who we might be tempted to consider as throwaway people or lowly and insignificant, the invisible rabble of the Rogue Valley. And in our text today, God not only chooses to announce the Advent to shepherds, but God chooses to reveal the Advent to us as Bible readers through the eyes of this rabble. The lens that Luke gives us in his gospel is, is through which we get to see the birth of Christ is through the lens of the lowly and insignificant shepherds. It's through their eyes. These, these, these nomadic herdsmen, it's through their eyes that we see the angels and hear the first proclamation of the, the good news that Christ has come. It's through their ears that we hear the singing of the heavenly host. It's through their eyes that we encounter the baby Jesus in a manger and relay the good news received to Mary and to Joseph and others. It's through the eyes in the experience of these lowly shepherds that we see the first worship of Jesus. Isn't that incredible? Not the religious elite, not the halves of society, this throwaway rabble who people would walk by in that day, not even consider human. We gaze upon the glory of the incarnation today through the experience of the small and the weak and the forgotten and the have-nots. That's incredible. Depending on where you sit this morning, that reality could have a different implication for you. 
It could either be a liberating truth or it could be a convicting truth. For some of you, in fact, the fact that God has revealed himself to have nots, that's an encouraging thing. There's some of us here today, some of us listening, who might consider ourselves lowly and insignificant. Perhaps even forgotten by God, but take heart. You're not forgotten by God. You're not insignificant. Jesus came for people just like you, just like those shepherds that night. And then for some of us, the fact that God revealed himself to have nots might be a convicting thing. If you've had the tendency to look down those you consider lowly and insignificant, if you, like me, have had a tendency to harbor snobbish piety, well, then maybe God might bring conviction through our text today. And maybe it might lead to confession and repentance. I wonder what happens in your heart, because I know what happens in my heart when I drive by Hawthorne Park, when I drive by the tents on the side of the road. But the Advent reveals that there are no such thing as insignificant people. God came for all. The fact that you and I are in this place hearing these words today it reveals how significant God deems us. He has preserved this truth, the incarnation, that he became flesh. He has preserved it and he has repeated it. This gospel message has gone forth over centuries and millennia across the globe. And here we are in the year 2020 on the other side of the planet hearing these amazing truths that were first declared to these shepherds 2,000 years ago on a hillside. The good news that was proclaimed to those shepherds is being proclaimed to us. And most of us in this place... We are here this morning because somewhere along the line in our life, someone took the initiative to proclaim this good news to us. Someone left the comfort of their home, their car, their life. They, they spanned a gap. They came to you, a preacher, a friend, a parent. Somebody came to you at some point, if you're in Christ, and proclaimed the good news to you. Someone took the time to walk you through the truth that we have a God who loves us so much that he... He came on our behalf. He lived a sinless life. He bore our sin when he went to the cross as a sinless sacrifice. He's overcome sin and death, and he extends the hope of new life to you. Somebody shared this with you. And for those of you that have trusted Christ as Lord and Savior, we all now join a multitude of heavenly hosts. I love what, what Mitch said this morning. A simple guitar and voices, but our voices join the voices of angels as we worship the living God. It's an amazing truth. Your story and my story includes someone going as a messenger for the good news to meet you or to meet me. Your story, your story involves someone telling you the good news that there may be worship. And, and we see this in our text today, the same sort of formula, the same sequence. Messengers were sent. Someone had to go. It was angels. Good news was proclaimed. Someone had to tell. The angels told the shepherds, which resulted in worship. We see the praise of these angels on the mountainside that night. The advent and the announcement of it is a story of messengers being sent, good news being proclaimed, and worship taking place. If you were here last week, we started in Luke chapter 2, looking through, through verses 1 and 7, and we saw the, just the crazy way in which God works through others. We, we see, a, 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 we see the, um, Caesar Augustus and this decree that he hands down, this back-breaking decree. And we're looking at all the, 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 the craziness of, the, of this first century story of Mary and Joseph traveling to Bethlehem. And as we're looking at all these things happening, we realize God is orchestrating all of it in these first seven verses of this chapter. There was this decree that was handed down that Joseph might register. And he had to go to the city of Bethlehem. So there was this destination that him and Mary had to travel to. And then we see this Davidic lineage that connected Joseph to David and even to Abraham, making Christ the king. And then we see the delivery of Jesus. And we marvel as we look at this Christmas story. It's a crazy story. God's working through this teenage girl who, who finds herself pregnant and unwed 
He's born in this lowly manger, but wrapped in swaddling cloths, which sort of signify that he's of significance. We hear the proclamation of these angels. We see this insignificant group of shepherds receiving the truth. It's a crazy story. If we go back to that darkened hillside on that night that Christ was born, we have to just pause and consider. We've heard the story of Christmas so often, I think we kind of sanitize or we rush through what's being said in these, in these words. But a, an angel appeared to shepherds. Can you imagine what it was like for these guys who were kind of just this forgotten dude, these guys who just nomadically roamed on the hillsides following their flocks? What was it like for those guys that night? I try to imagine it. I try to imagine it was a night not unlike thousands of other nights that they had experienced doing their job. They'd settled their sheep for the night. They were bedded down. Uh, The shepherds, a handful of them, were settling in for the night. Maybe there was a fire crackling. Maybe they were having small talk. They, They were growing weary, growing tired. It had been a long day. And as they begin to drift off, sleepy eyes growing heavy, they always have one ear tuned to their sheep because that's their job. Is there a sheep that's going to wander? Is there an animal that's going to approach? And so as they drift off with one ear tuned to the the sheep, all of a sudden, unlike anything they'd ever experienced before, this piercing of the black night sky takes place. It's a blinding light, piercing the night. It's unlike any light they'd ever seen. It's not the sun. It's not the moon, it's not a comet, it's not a shooting star, it's not a roaring fire. This is a divine light. There is glory in this light. It's from heaven. And in in the midst of this heavenly light, these shepherds are suddenly made aware of how unheavenly they are. They fall on their face, bury their faces into the grass, filled with terror. And this angel begins to speak, fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. And then as he makes this amazing announcement... For unto you, lowly shepherd, is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you, for you, lowly shepherd. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And as they lift their heads up, they begin to fix their eyes on this angel, the squinting through eyes that that are trying to adjust to this light. And then all of a sudden, there's not one angel, not two, not a dozen, not a hundred, but thousands a heavenly host singing songs of worship unto God. Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace among those with whom he is pleased. This heavenly concert is not for the benefit of kings or queens. No royalty. It's not for the benefit of the uber-religious high-profile priests or the extremely wealthy elite or the upper crust of society. These angels, this heavenly host, came down from heaven to sing to a collection of nomadic shepherds who lived in the open elements alongside animals. Can you imagine what it must have sounded like? What does thousands of angels sound like singing in the night? Was there instruments? Was there harps? Was it a cappella? Do angels have the ability to sing perfectly? Is there there new sounds that come from heaven? I can imagine there weren't any flat notes. I can imagine it was perfect. God chose these shepherds to proclaim the miracle of Christ. And you know, we're not that different from these shepherds. As far as I know here at Heritage Christian Fellowship, we don't have any kings or queens. There's nobody who's on you know, Forbes top 100 wealthy list. We're just regular folks here. That's that's what I love about being in the Rogue Valley. It's what I love about this church. We're regular people. Run-of-the-mill, down-to-earth, salt-of-the-earth kind of people. We're regular folks, and just like God revealed himself to those shepherds so many years ago, he reveals himself to us today as well. Can you imagine if the Advent, this first Advent, this announcement had taken place today? If, 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 like the shepherds, you and I were the first ones to hear of the coming of Christ, can you imagine what that would have been like in our context? Head home after a long day at work. You're tired. 
kick off your shoes, maybe throw on some pajama pants, have a little bit of food, you sit it on your lap, you throw something up on Netflix, chilling out with your family or your husband or your, or your friends. It's a night not unlike thousands of other nights that you've had before, drifting off to sleep a little bit on the couch when all of a sudden the lights in your home begin to flicker. The ground begins to shake, you hear a rumbling that's coming from outside, it gets louder and louder, the lights flicker more and more, you're suddenly filled with terror. This isn't an airplane, it's not a train, it's not a car, it's not, it's not something you've ever experienced before. Then all of a sudden your home is filled with a piercing divine light. It's not headlights, it's not the sun, this is something you've never felt before in your entire life, it's the glory of the Lord. And when that light envelops you, you fall on your face, nose buried in the carpet. You're filled with fear. You realize in this moment how exposed and naked you are before God. This glorious light reveals how inglorious you actually are. All of the hidden sin, the snobbish piety that lives within you is on full display. You fall to your face, terrified. But then an angel appears and begins to speak. Don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Can you imagine? Fear dissipates and gives way to to worship, horror turns to hope, despair to joy. This is the announcement of the good news. I think there's a part of all of us who would love to have an encounter with an angel. Maybe you're not like me, but I've thought before in my life, like, how cool to see an angel. Every time I'm backpacking, I'm in the middle of nowhere, and I got a fire crackling on the side of a mountain somewhere, and it's nighttime, and it's scary in the woods, I always think, well, I think, is a Bigfoot going to get me, or is a grizzly going to get me? But I also think, like, how crazy if all of a sudden the, this angel, like the piercing light of an angel, appeared on the side of this mountain, I try to imagine what it was like. And so who hasn't asked God for an unmistakable sign, the audible voice of God? I know I have, but listen, man, the Advent is God speaking to you and me. The Advent is God's revelation. Jesus is God's living word. Listen to the first three verses of the book of Hebrews. Long ago... At many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the power of his word, by the word of his power. So God has spoken to us in and through Jesus. The Advent is this, it is this moment in history when God is speaking to us by his son. When, when divinity became humanity, God spoke. When holy God became helpless babe, God spoke. When the author of history became human flesh, God spoke. When the baby that was born at Advent bore our sins at Calvary, God spoke. God has spoken to us by his Son. And so as we look back at our text today, and as we see Jesus in a manger, as we see Mary and Joseph surrounded by animals in the quietness of the night, as we see this angel appear to these shepherds are on a nearby hillside making an announcement. We see God speaking. We see messengers being sent, good news being proclaimed, and worship taking place. Look at verse 9, if you will, with me. Verse 9, it says that an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. Pay attention to that phrase, an angel of the Lord appeared to them. This is heaven's angels manifesting on earth. This angel had to have left the heavenlies to go to these shepherds. The first good news messenger to be sent, it was an angel. 
And this angel goes to these shepherds and appears to them. And so here's this formula. Here's this, this sequence that we see. And this is the first thing I would encourage you to write down. In the announcement of his coming, the first thing we see is messengers sent. We see messengers sent. This is, this is how the gospel is spread. Messengers must be sent. On the night when Jesus was born, messengers were sent to these shepherds to declare good news. And Luke is recording these details for us uh, that we might recognize that this didn't happen in secret. Though it took place at night, it didn't stay in the dark. There were witnesses to this. This, this actually happened. Angels actually appeared to, to, to shepherds, and they went and they saw the living Christ in a manger. They witnessed the coming of the, the Messiah. This announcement of his birth took place that there might be witnesses to the birth of Christ. These witnesses and the circumstances of Christ's birth are unlike any you'd expect if you were going to concoct a story of a God. If you were going to concoct or make up a story about God become flesh, or about the King of Kings or the Lord of Lords, you probably wouldn't include an unwed pregnant teen, or a dirty manger surrounded by animals, or lowly shepherds as the first witnesses. The birth narrative screams of obscurity. We see all the grittiness and the humility of the advent of Christ. It's not some elaborate mythology about a made-up God. This is the accurate and historical account of how Creator God became creation. So the first thing we see is go. We see messengers sent. Go back to verse 10. In verse 10, it says, as the angel appears to these shepherds, he says to them, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Pay attention to that. This, this, this angel is bringing good news to these shepherds. He didn't just go to them. He, he, he went to them with the purpose of sharing the good news. And this is the second thing I want you to write down, just a simple thing. The announcement of his coming, the good news is proclaimed. So we see go and we see tell. In the announcement of his, of his coming, we see good news being proclaimed. This is how the gospel is spread. We don't just go to people. We go and we tell the good news. They announced to these shepherds this amazing truth that, that a Savior's been born to you. Forgotten shepherd, this is for you. He's the Messiah. He's the Lord. And here's going to be a sign so you know that what I'm saying isn't false. You're going to find a baby wrapped in swaddling claws lying in a manger. I can imagine it was a perplexing experience for the shepherds. Not just because angels are speaking to them, but they're shepherds. No one ever sought out shepherds. They were forgotten. And I think of that scene, I was, thinking, I was watching a... a a Grinchy Stole Christmas, there's a scene at the very end with Jim Carrey where, where, where Martha May, this girl who has a crush on, 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 on the Grinch, at the very end, she gives the ring back to the mayor who's a bad guy, and she looks at the Grinch, basically uh, affirming her love for him, and he's like, me? He's like, so, like, who, who would ever love me? And I can imagine as these angels appear to the shepherds, they got to be thinking, you got your coordinates wrong, angels. No one ever tells us anything. We're not important enough to receive an announcement from God. But, but they do. And as I look at this announcement, as I look at the words of these angels, and even in the song that they sing, there's these crazy contrasts that take place. There's fear, but also joy. There's fear, but great joy for all people. Fear comes from realizing our sin. But joy comes when Jesus takes that sin away. Fear comes when you and I have to confront the reality of death, but joy comes at the hope of new life. There's also Savior and Lord. Savior and Lord, these words, though we have paired them because of our, our, our understanding of Christ as Lord and Savior, if you think about it, these words aren't words that would naturally be paired. A Lord is one who sits on a throne. A Savior is one who is a suffering servant. 
A Lord rises up as sovereign. A Savior lays down his life as sacrifice. Jesus brought both Lord and Savior together. He's both God of the highest heaven, but he also brings peace on earth. He's not an impersonal God who stays in heaven. He draws near. Heaven and earth. Jesus is fully God who hails from the highest heaven. He's also fully a man who came to earth. He sits on a heavenly throne. He also hung on an earthly cross, thus making peace. This is the good news. This is for all people. For all people. For the wealthy who live in high places and for the lowly who live in low places. This is good news for the young. This is good news for the old. This is good news for both male and female. This is the good news for every nation from all tribes and peoples and languages. Think about that. This Jewish Savior came as Savior of all nations. Jesus came to save those from across the Middle East and India. He came to save those who call the African continent home from the deserts of the north to the to rocky shores of the south to the, to the tropics of the sub-Saharan continent. Jesus came for the indigenous peoples from across the Americas, from those who live in the cold, cold Arctic climates to those indigenous people who live in the tropics of South America. He is Savior to those who live all across Asia, from the mountains of Tibet to the cities of China to the, to the tropics of Southeast Asia. He came to save those who live in the frozen Siberian forests, all those across Europe and our neighbors and our friends right here in Medford, Oregon. It's interesting that the first to worship Jesus are lowly shepherds, isn't it? It's interesting that the first to worship him were non-Jewish wise men from Persia. Not the wealthy or the religious elite. It's just crazy, this story. He came for you, he came for me. After we see go and we see tell, we see these angels telling of the good news, and then we see this moment of praise, the song of the angels. It's an incredible song. They were praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased, verse 14. And here's the third thing we see. We see the announcement of his coming. It results in worship. These angels are worshiping the living God. In the lyrics of their worship song, glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Or as the NIV translates it, glory to God in the highest heaven. And on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. The angels declare that God deserves glory. Why? Well, in light of the truth that they just announced, God deserves glory because, as Paul says, he has taken on the form of a servant, having been born in the likeness of men. And for the fullness of time, he has now come, and God has sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law, Galatians 4. And now God brings peace on earth through Jesus. And all those who trust in Christ have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is an amazing, worship-worthy truth. To see thousands of angels worshiping God is interesting. And I think if you and I were to witness that, at least I shouldn't say you or I, if I was to witness thousands of heavenly beings, angels worshiping God, I might be tempted to want to worship the angels. They're from heaven. They're godly. They're divine looking. But no. They are worshiping as we all are to worship the one true God. So the first announcement of the Advent is the angels who are going. It's the angels who are telling. It's the angels who are praising. We see messengers sent. We see good news proclaimed. We see this resulting in worship. We see go, we see tell, and we see praise. And what is the response of the shepherds? 
When we get down to verse 15, what is the response of these lowly and seemingly insignificant shepherds at the proclamation of the good news in their lives? Well, we see them believing it and hearing it. And then we see them going and telling and praising. Look at verse 15. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went. They say, Let us go. And they went. They, they heard the proclamation. They had enough belief in their heart to go pursue the truth, to go tell of his coming. And so in response to his coming, we see these messengers are sent. Again, we see the second generation of those going. With haste, it says, these shepherds go to see if they can find the Christ. They didn't sit around and twiddle their thumbs. They didn't ponder. They weren't ambivalent. They didn't freeze in fear. No, they, they hurried off to find this thing that the angels had talked about, that there was a child who was going to be laying in a manger wrapped in swaddling cloths. They were told the good news. They were told the truth about God. And in response to what they heard, they seek out the truth. They don't sit on it. It doesn't go in one ear and out the other. They seek to find Jesus. Seeking always comes before finding. Always. When we seek, we find. And it seems to me the more valuable the thing being sought, the more fervent the passion to find it. Our text tells us they went with haste to find Mary and Joseph. They had this earnest desire to see the thing that they were told about. Have you ever sought after Jesus with haste? With earnest desire, have you pursued Jesus? I got a phone call right after I moved here from a cousin of mine. I hadn't talked to, I hadn't talked to Jeremiah in eight years. Last time I spoke with him, I was at his mother's funeral. I spoke at his mom's funeral. And she passed away unexpectedly eight years ago. And I love my cousin. We've been close. Like, we've, we've always appreciated each other. But I hadn't talked to him in forever. And right after I moved here, I get this phone call out of the blue from Jeremiah. And he tells me a heartbreaking story. He tells me the story of of life that is spiraling out of control, about addiction that has sunken into his life, about a wife that has left him, a fan, children that have left, and he's living in this campground. His life has fallen apart. And I don't remember exactly what he said, but essentially what my cousin said to me, he's like, I know, I know that Jesus is the answer, but I just don't know how to find him. I know that I need you. I know I can't do this. I know that somehow in the grand scheme of things, Jesus is my only hope, but I just don't know what to do about it. And to hear my, my cousin just desperately seeking the truth that Jesus would save him, that somehow Jesus was the answer. He knew enough to pick up his phone and call his pastor cousin and say, hey, cousin Paul, I haven't talked to you in eight years since you spoke at my mama's funeral, but I'm desperate. I have a call with him later on today. We've been having really awesome conversations. To hear him seek after Christ, he just wants to find him. Jesus came to be discovered. That's why the angels made that proclamation that night. The same Savior that was born on behalf of those shepherds has been born on behalf of you and me. He is both Lord and Savior. He is sovereign God and suffering servant. He is Christ the Lord. So the shepherds go. In verse 17, what do they do? In verse 17, it says, They made known the saying that had been told them. So they didn't just go, just like the angels who came and then spoke forth a message. These shepherds go and they make known the saying that had been told to them. So the second thing we see in response to his coming, the good news again is proclaimed. The second generation of good news proclamation. They go and they tell. The message, the truth that Jesus has been found was too great to keep for themselves. They, they had to spread the word. They made known the saying that had been told them. And all who heard it wondered, it says in verse 18, at what the shepherds told them. They were telling 
and people were listening, and Jesus was being made known. Now, these shepherds couldn't have known the fullness of what Christ came to accomplish. They couldn't have known the fullness of God's plan to, to have Christ fulfill the law, go to the cross, defeat death and sin, come back to life. I mean, they couldn't understand, but they knew enough as to what had been revealed to them that they had to go tell others. With what they were given, they were obedient, and they told anyone who would listen. We see the shepherds going and telling of his coming. And then if you look at the last couple of verses of our text today, all who heard it in verse 18 wondered at what the shepherds told them. And then Mary herself treasures up these things, pondering them in her heart. And then in verse 20, the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they'd heard and seen as it had been told them. So we see wondering and treasuring and pondering and glorifying and praising. And this is the third thing we see. We see in response to his coming, it results in worship. The response to his coming results in worship. Go, tell, praise. People heard the good news and they wondered. And Mary treasured and pondered. The shepherds glorified and praised. There was this outflow of joy. The outflow of joy that caused them to tell others was the same outflow of joy that led them in worship, to tell of his coming to worship him. The person who delights in the Lord shares his good, this good news with others. This is the only one worthy of delighting in, is Christ. We sing of his praises, glory to God in highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. We get to join the heavenly host. We get to sing along with angels and the saints that have gone before us, this worship unto God. We get to be a human voice that joins, that joins the heavenly host. We fix our eyes on Jesus, and we wonder. We treasure these things up. We ponder them. We glorify and praise God. So Jesus is born. And so twice, in back-to-back examples, messengers go to tell of his coming, resulting in worship. And then there's you and me. Here we are today. Whatever generation this would be after the proclamation of the good news, here we are today. We are to tell of his coming. But the question really comes down to this. that The shepherds heard and believed, and thus went and told and worshiped. The question is, is have you heard? And do you believe? If we look at verses 18 through 20, we see that all who heard it wondered. We see that Mary treasured all these things up, these things that had been told her. We see that the, the shepherds in verse 20, that, that they, they praised God for all they had heard and seen and been told to them. So the question is, have you heard it? I mean, we can go to church our whole lives. I just came from the upper Midwest where it's a very churched culture. Lots of mainline denominationalism. Church is just a part of what people do. They go to church and they go home. And, and it's, it's possible to go to church your whole entire life and never really hear this amazing truth that our God became flesh. That he might live a sinless life, being the righteousness that you could never attain for yourself. That he went to the cross as a sinless sacrifice, God in the flesh, taking the full brunt of the wrath our sin deserves upon himself overcoming sin and death, that we might have the hope of forgiveness and the imputed righteousness of Christ, that we might be declared righteous before a holy God, that, that death might be overcome, that sin might be overcome, that we might have the hope of, of worshiping him for all of eternity as children of the Most High God. This can't be white noise that goes in one ear and out the other. Today we are recipients of the good news. God has come in his son Jesus. This good news is for all people. Glory be to God. God, in his love for you and me, has come near. He didn't stay in the comforts of heaven. He didn't watch from afar as you and I struggled with sin. He, he didn't watch unmoved as, as death stalks us. No. 
No, as John 3 tells us, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. The question is, have you heard this? I mean, maybe you've listened to it, but have you heard it? Has this settled into your heart, this truth? Have you heard the good news of Jesus Christ and let it respond in faith, working in you? Because those who have responded to this truth in faith, Paul makes it really clear what our job is. In Romans 10, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Verse 14. How then will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him in whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. So to hear and respond to this good news, this gospel message, to hear and respond to it in faith means that you and I are now messengers that are to be sent. Your feet are the beautiful feet. My feet are the beautiful feet. You're now the one who is to proclaim the good news. You are the ones. I am the one who is to preach. We are to tell of his coming. And together we are to offer our very lives as an act of worship. It is now you and me. We are the next in line to go, to tell, and to praise. I know the idea of sharing Christ, of sharing the good news with others, it can be frightening. The statistics are pretty alarming on how many Christians actually share their faith. It's not very high of a percentage, like 4% or something. And I know there's a lot that can be said on how to be good at witnessing. If anybody went to college and you were a part of crew, you understand the the mechanisms of how some people share their faith. There's lots of ways you, you can witness for Christ. There's lots of approaches to evangelism. There's lots of ways to share your faith. And I've discovered that God wires some people differently. Some of us are able to do that in an intellectual capacity. Some do it through an interpersonal capacity. Some are better invitational evangelists. Some are better at testimonial witnessing. And we can get into that, and there's a time and a place to really hone the craft on how to share Christ with those who don't know it, how to see those lowly and forgotten people and, and go to them in love. But here's what I know to be true. Before we get to that, here's what I know to be true. If evangelism, if proclaiming the good news is going to be effective, the gospel has to be proclaimed in love. If gospel proclamation is going to be fruitful, there must be love. Love for God and love for others. We can't approach this work begrudgingly. Do you remember the greatest commandment in Matthew 22? Someone asked Jesus, teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? Then in Matthew 22, verse 37, Jesus said, well, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the law and the prophets. When Jesus gave the great commandment, he talks about a vertical and a horizontal relationship. He talks about how our love is first and foremost vertically oriented towards God. And as men and women who are loving God in a vertical relationship, who are fixing our eyes on him, who are in wonder at who he is, who are over, overwhelmed by, by just joy that he has chosen to reveal himself to me, when this relationship is right, well, then this relationship is right. When I am vertically connected to the living God, I am more concerned about my fellow man because I'm going to begin to have his eyes to see the people around me the way he sees them. So the question is, is there love? There must be love if gospel proclamation is going to be fruitful. What does loving God look like in your life? Because part of loving Jesus is celebrating what he's done in your life. 
My wife and I, we have uh, four rules to marriage. I'll, I'll spare you the other three, but the first rule we have to marriage is to tell your love story often. We have discovered that if we are are faithful about sharing the story of how we fell in love, about how she was the one I prayed for, about how I kind of stalked her, all those sorts of things. If we are faithful at sharing these stories, like, like I, I remember, like, oh my gosh, like, she was the first girl I saw. I told my mom I wanted to marry this girl before I even knew who she was. And, and then when she took me, she asked me on a first date. Like it was, we, we, had, we, had dinner, we watched the sunset. I, we tell the story. We tell our kids. We tell anybody who will listen. We tell the love story often. And what it does is it stirs up my heart and my affections for my wife. I'm reminded that she is this one I, I, I begged God for. I'm in love with her. It's an amazing love story. I can't believe she loves me back. Have you told the love story of your relationship with God? How often do you tell your love story, God's love story in your life, back to yourself? When's the last time in prayer you just praise God for the way he has made himself known to you? When's the last time you opened up your journal and you just wrote the story of how that day he met you and he opened your eyes and he revealed himself to you? When's the last time you just told a trusted friend, hey, can I tell you about who Jesus is to me and about how he saved my life? Tell your love story often because if you are, if you are loving God and receiving love from God, that is the fuel, that is the vertical fuel that enables us to even think about telling others of his coming. So tell your love story often. And then I wonder, as one who loves God, how do you speak of him to others? I love to talk about my love for my wife around others because I want people to know how awesome she is. I want people to know how lucky I am. Do you talk about God that way around others? Do you live with that sort of affection on your lips around your children and your spouse and your coworkers and your teammates and your friends and neighbors? I think about the excuses we often have for not telling others about Jesus. We say things like, I don't know enough, or my life's not cleaned up yet, or what if, what if they reject me? And then I think about these shepherds. All they knew is what the angel told them. They had like three sentences of, of information to go off, and they sprinted and told anybody who would listen. We fear about not being cleaned up enough. These dudes slept with animals. They weren't concerned about being clean. They were worried about being rejected. Like, they lived a rejected lifestyle. As one who loves God, how does loving others look in your life? I've learned this to be true. This is not mine. This is an author who I appreciate. who one time said to me, without proximity, there will be no empathy. Without proximity, there will be no empathy. In other words, unless I am close with others, I'm not going to learn to love them enough to share Jesus with them. I don't drive by them and throw a Bible track and keep driving. Christ is shared through love. And when I'm in love with God, I'm going to love others. And so the simple question is, you don't have to worry about reaching the whole world for Jesus. I just want you to think right now, who are those people in your life who you have close proximity with? Who are the people God has put right in your life? Who have you invested and have relational equity with? How might you begin to just tell the love story of how God has saved you to those around you? Messengers are to be sent. Good news is to be proclaimed. We are to worship God. Can you imagine with me for a second if the men and women of Heritage Christian Fellowship in, in, in deep adoration of the living God filled with the Holy Spirit would spill out the doors of this gymnasium and go into the world as messengers of the good news, loving selflessly through relationship, if we saw the wrongs of the world and we didn't walk by them as throwaways, if we loved them, if we walked across the hallway and walked into our children's room and just sat on the edge of the bed and said, can I talk to you about Jesus today? 
if we got in a car with our spouse and rather than bickering about the latest thing, if we just focused our attention on Christ, can you imagine what God might do in and through our, our church? If we lived out these truths of going, of telling, and of praising, would you pray with me? Father, thank you so much for your love for us. Thank you for this text. Thank you that we can look back in history and we can see. God, we can see these, these men on a hillside that night being, um, God, being encountered by angels and being told the amazing truth that God has become flesh. And this is good news for all people. And that the, the God of highest heaven has become a child and, and this will bring peace to all. God, I just think of those of us that are gathered here today, God, that as we focus on you this morning, God, as we lift our eyes heavenward, God, would you, God, would you just stir up in us affection for you? God, would you remind us of this amazing love story that we have been caught up in, that the God of the universe has pursued us. He's etched our name in the palm of his hand. He calls us by name. He loves, loves me. And so, God, as we focus and meditate and, and just worship at this amazing truth that, God, we are loved by you would, you, would you allow that to boil up in our hearts and minds and spill out onto those around us? God, as we lift our eyes from you to those uh, around us, God, would you give us boldness and courage and just love to go to people who we care about and share the hope of Christ with them. God, we love you. Trust you. Pray these things in Jesus' name.